Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church. We are delighted you have chosen to listen in today. It's our hope the message of Jesus will continue to spread and bear fruit, both in your life and the world around us. For more digital content, feel free to check us out on the web at calvarybcmoultrie.com. And now for today's message. Several things about who God is, right? Um, and that's my desire this morning is that we're, as we take just a small little one, one week off from Galatians, just to remind us of some key truths in the scriptures about who God is. Um, there's two main truths that I hope then they'll be like uh, supports, pillars under your faith. Um, not only for this, because I think many of us believe these things, but it's always good to be reminded of them. But then we're going to walk through some very practical applications as we walk out into the community um, this week. If you're anything like me, my work is kind of stopped for two weeks, just doing it from a distance. And so it might be the same for you. And so what do we do in those seasons? What do we do in these kind of things when society around us seems to be in somewhat of a panic or fear state? How do we still behold Christ and live for his glory? So let's pray in anticipation of hearing from God from his word. Heavenly Father, we, uh, Lord, just every day, Lord, it's a wonderful place to be when I can wake from my bed and still know you're God. Lord, that you're not one who is, as we just sang, Father, there is no wavering, there is no turning, there is no discrepancies, Father, but you are still God. And Father, I just pray, I ask, and I plead that you would strengthen everyone here, Father, with these truths. Father, that you would show yourself very real and very clear to them through your word and your spirit. Father, I ask that you would just continue to help us to be a people who do not think of ourselves primarily, um, Father, but we also are looking very quickly to the outside world and how we can show the love of Christ. So Lord, just help us in this season, we pray. Father, speak to us through your word, and we ask that you would do so for your glory and our joy. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Romans chapter 8. So one of the first things that I want to uh, uh, just kind of walk through is just help us to see something beautiful in the scriptures. It's this idea that pandemics are not new. Pandemics are not new, and God is in perfect control of all things. Pandemics are not new, and God has perfect control over all things. And in Romans chapter 8 is just a section where he's really speaking to the believer and, and kind of, again, putting pillars on his faith. But there's some interesting language that we're going to see in verses 8. Start with verse 18 with me, and then we'll think about it for a moment. And it says, For I consider the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from the bondage to, uh, the, its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pangs of childbirth until now. So one of the interesting things, and, and I'm not going to sit here and, and just kind of exegete this whole text because there's so much we could do in this little section. But one of the things I want us to highlight, and one of the things I want us to see in God's word, and truths that we see in scripture, is that since the fall of Adam and Eve, where they willingly rebelled against God by, in the garden by eating of the tree that they were commanded not to eat, there is a curse that has its tentacles upon everything. Like, I think we need to be reminded of, of a good theology of what has happened in the curse, what has happened in the fall. 
And one of the things we see very here, I don't think many of us would make any kind of an argument to say that, that our minds, our hearts, our bodies are affected by the fall. But we also need to understand that all of creation, we see it there in verse 23. It says, for we know that the whole creation is groaning. Which is interesting. I don't know about you, but when I walk by a tree, I don't hear any moans. Right? When I eat my chicken, it's not, well, maybe it moaned before I eat it, but... But, but we, don't, we don't necessarily hear that. But one of the things we see in the Bible is that the curse has tentacles that have reached out into every sphere of God's creation. And in that, we know part of the curse is the reality of heartache, of pain, of suffering, of pandemics. That this is actually a reflection of a creation that is crying out for redemption. Which is really interesting when you think about that. You know, the, the effects of cancer is actually a creation crying out for redemption. Pain and suffering that we might experience, both physical, emotional, whatever it might be, is an expression of a creation crying out for redemption. All right, and verse 22 tells us that the whole of creation has been groaning until now. So this isn't the first time, is it? This isn't the first time that creation has said, oh no, pandemic, what are we going to do? Right? It's not that case. The word's very clear in the concept of the curse of Adam has been affecting things since the fall. And all things, and we need to understand here, it's not like the Lord is saying, oh no, what do we do? Right? Where the world is saying, hold on, we don't know how this is going to turn out. We as God's people have a much different attitude. We as God's people, we don't say, oh no, what's going to happen? Right? We as Christ's followers have been given an explanation for the chaos and suffering we see around us. Do you have that in your in your category of thinking like you have an explanation like we should never be surprised by coronaviruses we should never be surprised by the financial market crashing as a result of people freaking out we should never be surprised by anything that screams suffering chaos pain and what's so interesting is i think sometimes as christians we're the first ones to freak out shame on us at some level, we've got to be warned that, that we are to be that beacon of light, right? That pulse in society of not that we have it all figured out, but we know the one who does. That we know the one who does. And we understand that the reason all of these things happen, both in your life, both for the righteous and the unrighteous, for the just and for the unjust, is because of the effects of sin and its curse. But in the midst of all that, we can understand something very true, something very good, something very wonderful. See, and there are times in each of our lives where we believe something to be a novelty, right? This idea of this is new. Or maybe for us in our, our generation, hey guys, something new, a novelty in our generation might be a pandemic. I don't know, I've never been through one where we've had to cancel large portions of things. Maybe some of you are older, maybe... I don't know, maybe you were around in the 1300s when the Black Plague was around. I'm not sure. Or the 1900s, right, when the Spanish flu was there, killing, you know, quarters of the whole population. So this is not a new thing in society. This is not something new that we have to struggle with. Pandemics like the, this coronavirus are not new, but they are a glimpse into the curse of sin, which has affected everything. History is full of times where the entire world is holding its breath as if, oh, what's going to happen? But we don't have to be those people. As God's people, we are not those who hold our breath. We continue to sing God's praises. We don't have to hold our breath. And, and what I, what I want to do is I'm just going to go through a list real quick. All right, it's one of those like, uh, wow, drawing a blank on the term, um, homiletical tools, right? 
It's to stir you up into realizing who God is. All right, so I'm going to just do this list. Okay, and I, and I want you just to think on it. You know a lot of these stories. But I want us to hear the, the refrain of, of what, I, what I'm trying to do here, okay? So listen to what we say here. It says, the God of Genesis 1 who spoke all things into existence out of nothing, guess what he is? He's still God. The Genesis of 21, of Genesis, the God of Genesis 21, who caused Sarah's dry womb and Abraham's frail body to produce a promised child, guess what he is? He's still God. The God of Genesis 50, who saved a little family of 70 through famine and produced a great nation while under the heavy slavery in Egypt, guess what he still is? He's still God. The God of Exodus 14, who parted the Red Sea and the Jordan River in Joshua, guess what he still is? He is still God. The God who led a people in the wilderness for 40 years, and the Bible describes that their clothes and their shoes, they never wore out. Guess what he still is? He is still God. The God who provided manna and water for his people is still God. The God who provides a home for both the mountain goat and the Asian caterpillar. Guess what he still is? He is still God. The God who provides five loaves and three fishes to feed 5,000 people. Guess what he still is? He's still God. The God who told a mountain how high to go and where to stop. The God who said seas go this far and no further. Guess what he still is? He is still our God. And the God who healed the lame, the blipper, and the blind. He is still God. The God who rose from the grave victorious. Guess what he still is? Our God. And the God who now delights to breathe new life into once dead people like you and me. You know what he still is? He's still our God. May we never forget the beautiful story of a God in Scripture who says, I am not like anything else, and I will always be God. Brothers and sisters, the creation is groaning under the curse. Pandemics are not new. Pain and suffering are real. Yet our God is still what? God, do you believe it? Have you set your mind and your heart on these truths that we know him to be? This is a beautiful reality that we see. One of the interesting things, and we sang it a little bit and just a little bit ago, is the fact of God's, in the fancy word, is immutability. Right? But, but what that means is he's unchanging. You know, God has always been. And you know what the Bible says? He will always be. From everlasting to everlasting, you are what? God, and here's the amazing thing. When we see God do something glorious, like parting the Red Sea, when he shows his power and he shows his might and he shows his awesomeness, guess what he still is today? That same God, the God who provided for a bunch of people out of nothing. Guess who God is today? That same God. And we cannot be a people consumed by chatter. Right? Because, I mean, everybody experiences that. I mean, I think social media has, like, amplified it, right? It's made it much worse that we hear chatter, right? The chatter of what if, what if, what if. And the Christian says, God is. That should be our heart's cries, that we say God is. See, pandemics are not new, and God is still perfectly in control of all things. God has not lost control, and he's chasing after the coronavirus on a horse, just hoping maybe he can catch it. It's not God. 
And what's interesting is, is some of the language we see. So, so one of the implications of the fact that God is unchanging is I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to think about this. So Moses, when he was walking with the, the people of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land, he, there was this times we would hear him say, hope in God. Not in the things of Egypt, not in these things, but hope in God. What about David? David says it all over the place, right? Though my heart is downcast, I hope in God. Luke says it in the, in, in the New Testament. Paul says it throughout the New Testament. Why is it that regardless of time or location on the map, these same men can say hope in God? Because God is unchanging. And we need to think through that. We need to wrestle with that in our holes. Parents, this is such a great truth to teach your children that they can grow up into. That there is a God who is faithful and unchanging, and he always does exactly what he promises he will do. And in Romans 8 tells us that creation is groaning for that redemption. You know what he's promised us? Redemption. It's coming. And so we don't have to fear. We don't have to walk in heartache or struggle. So one big pillar, I hope... The word of God places under our faith is that God is still God. And he is not lost control. Pandemics are not new. So why this then? So if the whole creation is groaning and God is still God, why do we have in our seasons waiting? I mean, literally, we were waiting. We are waiting for the next update from the news facilities, right? Some of you were waiting from your work to see if you actually got to work the next day. Some of you were waiting to me like, no, I still got to go, right? But why? Why do, within the season of waiting, why do, I mean, we're literally waiting. Waiting to see if Walmart's actually going to get more toilet paper or not. I mean, we're waiting, right? This is a season of waiting, right? It's just that moments where what if kind of questions can begin to creep into our hearts and minds. Why doesn't God just put this virus in check right now? Do we have the biblical framework to explain these kind of things? Do we have the ability to walk beside people who maybe don't have the same love of the Lord and understanding of him in these seasons? While there is no simple answer here, we can learn several things, I think, from the scriptures. Here's, here's a big thought. God uses times of waiting and tragedy, pain, and suffering to shape and refine his people. To shape and refine his people. One major point we all need to see here is that we cannot simply throw these vague answers out like, well, this is just God's judgment. You know, there's believers who have gotten the coronavirus, right? And if we believe what's true, their judgment has been already what? Taken. So we've got to be careful with things like this is God's judgment. Is this a judgment on a broken world? Yes. Can we say it's a judgment on everyone who's got it or specifically America? No. We've got to be very careful with that kind of language. We've got to be very careful with vague answers like, well, God's just trying to get everybody, everybody, everyone's attention. Is that true? Yes. But can, do we have a biblical framework so that we can make a good gospel impact during this season? See, God has more than one purpose in all that he does. Do you realize that? I think about this for a second. Like, I, I'm such a one-track person. Like, it's, it's hard. Like, it's really hard sometimes. Like, it's lots of times maybe you look at me and you're talking to me and it literally looks like I'm paying no attention to it, probably because I'm not. Because my mind has gone over here to this thing and it's hard for me to listen and think at the same time. I'm a one-track kind of a guy. I've got, I need a list, right? And so I can go from one to two, maybe to eight, but then I'm going to go through my list. I can only do one thing at a time. You know, but that's just the cry of being human. 
But God is not that way. He has a thousand purposes and a thousand things going on all at the same time. For some people, this uh, pandemic is, is to bring us to a closer knowledge of who he is. For some people, it's to declare that his glory will shine forth even in judgment. For some people, it's to to show us that we need to reevaluate our life and what's going on. Some people deal with gnats. Some people deal with snow. Some people deal with famine. Some people deal with sicknesses. Even if you say, no weapon formed against me will prosper, you're probably going to do that with a thermometer in your mouth. Because the reality is that God uses things in life in powerful ways to refine his people. So how do we think biblically during seasons of waiting? Knowing that God is God. First, for the unbeliever. We must understand that this is a declaration that something's wrong. No one encounters pain, suffering, tragedies, mass spread of a virus like we're experiencing in our world and says, man, everything's good. I don't think anyone's saying all is good. Because this is a declaration to a watching world to rouse them from their indifference to God. Right? Romans 1 declares right, that, that the, the, the wrath of God will be poured out on unrighteousness. What is unrighteousness? It's neither honoring God nor giving him thanks. And he says, therefore, you have no excuse. And I think these times and these seasons in a world, these great viral expressions of chaos and panic is a declaration to, to everyone there's something wrong. My question is, are we prepared to answer it? Are we prepared to give a defense for the hope that lies inside of us? For the unbelievable sickness, tragedy, natural disaster, pandemics are warning shots to their apathetic heart. While the world continues to ignore God by not honoring Him nor giving thanks, pain and suffering are meant as God's kindness to awaken them to hope that is only found in His Son, Jesus Christ. And maybe that's you here today. I know many of you, but I don't presume that everybody in here at this moment. So if, if that's you, maybe you're like very scared in this moment. I just want to plead with you to examine the Gospels. Look to Christ, the Son of God who came and provided a way for us to have what the Bible describes as a living hope, right? We studied that in 1 Peter. And if you're unfamiliar with how to do that, I would love to walk beside you in these truths. But one of the things I want to challenge us, so this week, you've probably already seen them, right? You, you, you encounter someone in Walmart, and there's one can of green beans left, and you're on opposite sides of the aisle, right? And you know what happens, right? Everyone's, you know, grocery cart turns into a race car. You know, you grab, and you kind of rev it, and you're going to be the first one to be line. I'm going to get that last thing. But I think the Bible says, like, if that's our disposition of our heart, then maybe we don't fully grasp who God is. Instead, maybe you even get there before them, and then they show some kind of discomfort. We should be those willing to express, I have a hope that's greater. We need to be able to address unbelievers and help them and understand that they need to look to Christ, that there is a reason they have this turmoil deep inside. See, for believers know there's, there's this wonderful opportunity to declare Christ to an apathetic world, that God is God and that he truly offers real, lasting hope in his son, Jesus Christ. So what about for Christians here today? Those who are followers of Jesus Christ, those who are pleading with God to use this time, what does the waiting season mean? And I'm going to try to show us something in Joshua. So I'm going to flip to Joshua. So Joshua is in the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, there's some around you. Joshua is the sixth book of the Old Testament. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. 
in chapter 3. This is just one particular scene. I could, we could go all over the place to a variety of texts. But one of the interesting things about the Bible is there is always seasons of waiting for God's people. There is always seasons of waiting for God's people. Abraham had to do what in order to receive Isaac? Had to wait. Right? Jacob, when he was going to receive his brides after working all the time, he had to do what? He had to wait. 400 years, the people of Egypt had to do what? To be rescued from Egypt. To wait time and time again. We see their seasons of waiting. I want to try our best to address that for us today. Joshua chapter two, uh, 3. And we're going to read about the first 15 verses. And you're, you're, if you're familiar with scriptures, you might, be, you might remember this story. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1 says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the, to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you uh, see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from the place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near to it in order that you may know that you shall so that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to these people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who, are on the, who, who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come, hear, and listen to these words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know the living God is among you, that, you will, that he will not... Uh, that he will without fail, excuse me, that he will without fail drive uh, out from before you from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the uh, Amorites, the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord is uh, um, of all the earth is passing before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men of the tribe of, each, of Israel, each uh, one man from each tribe. And when the soles of their feet, the priests bearing the ark, the Lord of the, all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall cut off from flowing and the water shall come down from the above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before people, as soon as those bearing the Ark of the Covenant came, came as far as the Jordan to set the feet of the priest bearing the Ark were dipped into the toes of the brink of the water. Pay attention to this line. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters came up from above and stood up and rose in a heap of very way at Adam, of this, um, at Adam the city that is there beside this area. So one of the things I want us to see here is several things. So this, there's so much here. I know I read a large portion. What was the Jordan like at this moment? It was not just like a calm little stream, right? We're talking, think the, the, the overflow. It said not just like at the banks. It says what? Overflowing the banks. What do rivers typically do when there's lots of water moving through them? Are they kind of like... Yeah, there, there, there's rumble, there's, there's trees that this water can push through, there's all kinds of chaos. Now, did you notice, at the very beginning, the Lord didn't say to Joshua, take your people, get ready, and go up there. He says, no, get up here, stop at the bank, and hang out for what? Three days. Why did he tell him to hang out for three days? 
Was God like, all right, guys, get ready. I've got to get prepared. I've got to go do some exercise real quick so that I can hold this water for this extended period of time. Why did he tell him, stop and wait and stare at that river for a little bit? Why did he do that? We see that the river very clearly is overflowing its banks, that it's a massive current. One, where there's multiple things, right? This is a, the new generation, right? They had not passed through the waters of the Red Sea. Many of them might have, but most of them had maybe new births. But 40 years had passed since that generation, and God is showing himself something amazing here. But what's interesting is the Israelites were called for a season to move right up to the edge of the overflowing river and stare at it. Stare at its rumbling. Stare at its overflowing the bank. And if you're like me, and I know that he's already said, we're about to cross over that, I'm going, huh? I'm, I'm looking, my, my, my kid's going to run up to me and say, Daddy, are we going to just swim really fast? Are we, are we building a bridge? What, there, there was just a lot of unanswered questions in that season for these people. The only thing they know is that God has been faithful for 40 years to them, right? They're in the same clothes that they left in, the same shoes that they left in. They're eating manna and water, and they're on the brink of going into the promised land, and he brings them up to this rushing, chaotic place where anxiety begins to consume his people, and he says, stare at this water and wait. Why does God give us these seasons of waiting? What was God doing during these days? Getting ready? Taking a nap? No, brothers and sisters. Seasons of waiting are not for God. They're for His people. They're not for God. They're for His people. For them to be refined. To be sharpened. So how does refine, or how does waiting refine and sharpen His people? Primarily, it causes us to grow in our dependence of God. Primarily, it grows us in our dependence of God. Can you think, seriously, moms, can you think how many questions those kids must have asked for those three days to their mom? But what if, mom? What if he doesn't, like he always has, what if, mom? And if you're like that, mom, then maybe your faith is tested oftentimes with the questions of your children because sometimes you feel inadequate to answer them. I mean, dads, can you imagine constantly, you're supposed to be that, that constant, stern, tough, I always know what's going on, nothing phases me. But you're seeing this massive river and you're like, what's going to happen? And God refines us in these seasons. And this happens throughout the Bible, but in, in very real, real ways in the book of Psalms. Listen to Psalm 13. Or if you're quick with your fingers, go ahead and flip there. Psalm 13. Psalm 13, here's what David cries out in a season of waiting. He says, how long, O Lord? A.K.A. he's having to what? He's in the midst of a waiting season. But remember, God is still what? God. He's still his, who he said he will be, and he's promised that he will take care. He says, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Amen. 
One of the greatest truths we must learn during seasons of waiting, whether it be from pandemics or suffering or pain, is that God invites us to trust in his goodness today and believe in his faithfulness tomorrow. Did you hear what I'm saying? So in those seasons of waiting, it's time for us to press into this idea that God is good today and he's faithful tomorrow. That's something we should pray. God, help me to see your goodness today. Help me to believe in your faithfulness tomorrow. In seasons of waiting, this is where we get to really behold a magnificent God. We see this in the psalm, don't we? Does God malign David for this? Does he say, don't bring me your questions? Don't bring me your struggles? No, God invites us in the seasons of waiting to cry out, how long, oh God? How long, oh God? I remember there was a season of my life where I just, for some reason, didn't have a lot of chocolate, right? I just, I don't, yeah, I love chocolate. I'll, I love anything, really. I like food. Um, but the reality is I just didn't have a season of chocolate. And, and I remember going to my mom's house, and, and it was all the kids were out of the house, so she, she likes uh, dark chocolate, right? So what's, what's unique about dark chocolate? It's not what? Sweet. It's kind of bitter. Right? Some people like it. I actually do like it now. But I remember as a, as a, 20-something, I was like, I don't remember, I don't think, I don't know if I can, just not a four Snickers or what it was at that season, but I go home and like, oh, chocolate, and I bite into it, and it was so bitter, right? It was just so, I was like, oh, my gosh, what did my mom just do to me? Mom, this one's spoiled, right? I, I wasn't sure what was going on, but would you know what's interesting, in that season of eating that bitter chocolate, the next time I came to my mom's house, she heard my cry of, oh, this is so bitter, mom, and she provided milk chocolate. And when I bit into that milk chocolate, guess what it was? It was sweeter than it's ever been in my entire life. And that's what the Lord does in these seasons of waiting. We, we taste of the bitterness of a broken world. We taste of the brokenness of a, cult, a creation that's groaning. And then we long for that sweet reunion we'll have one day with our Lord. Bitterness makes things all the sweeter. And one of the things we do in seasons of waiting is we trust in his goodness today and his faithfulness tomorrow. And we see this in this psalm that he's not threatened, but actually uses this season of waiting to expose areas of his heart that we can grow in. Seasons of waiting. Listen to the seasons of waiting is like a magnifying glass to where your true hope lies. See, does it make sense? So, so if, if, if we're constantly like, oh, it's all great, then we're like, very often we lose our focus on the Lord. We forget to honor him and thank him. But in seasons of want and hurt and doubt and concern, it magnifies the idols in our hearts. It magnifies the idols in our hearts that are often masked by the comforts of this day and age. So while we wait, may we actually have a season where our hopes are truly exposed and we find out where we truly find our rest. And may that be holy in the Lord. May we trust in his steadfast love of God and rejoice in his salvation. May this season of waiting for us as a community of people be a time of great prayer, great reflection, and great growth as God teaches us to be completely dependent on him. So we can know today that pandemics are not new, are they? The creation has been groaning up to this day. But God is perfectly in control. God is God. May that be a refrain that we, we echo in our own hearts and minds every day to amongst each other. But may we also see that during this season of waiting with the what if. I mean, we, there's still so many what ifs, is there not? 
In the season of waiting, may we understand that God is in powerful ways refining us and exposing in us what we actually love. And where it is not him, may we in repentance turn back to him. But remember these truths. He is good today and he's faithful for tomorrow. With that being said, if you would, just the sheets you were given, four quick application points that I just wanted, David and I, as we were just praying through this over this weekend and considering what we would want to challenge you guys with. Um, if you don't have one and you want to look for them, so it's the very first page. It's the one with David's beautiful face on it. So if you don't have one, Philip's got some back there. He can just raise your hand. He can grab one to you because it's something that I want everybody to set your eyes on. So there's several things that we see here, right? Several exhortations um, that I want you to look at. It's, again, it's the very first page. I want us to, to think on these things. As, as, so the first one is fear God. Do not fear what you cannot see. Fear God. Do not fear what you can see. Excuse me. So people are saying, do not fear, but, is, but that is not going to work. To be human is to fear. Instead, the scripture tells us that we are to fear where our fear should be placed. Fear God. If you fear him, you will be bold in everything else. Throw yourself on the fear of the Lord through prayer, Bible meditation, scripture memorization, and meditation in the Psalms. May this be a season where we truly reflect on the scriptures of what does it mean to fear a holy God. To be in awe of who he is. Secondly, Compassion, not criticism. There's one thing that I think a heart that truly does delight in the sovereignness of God and that he is working all things for his purposes is that sometimes we can snub our lows to those who don't get it. And I just want to plead with you as your pastors, you go out into the community that you be compassionate, not critical. Because you have hope. You have hope to offer, and, and so you are going to see people do selfish and dumb things during this day, right? You will even succumb to moments of selfishness yourself. Repent when you do, and when you see others act selfishly, remember who you were before you knew Christ, but you were, brought at a, you were bought at a price. When you hear others complain against those people, use that moment to remind them of the fact of your story, that you were even worse than that. See, we need to be the kind of people who act in self. We need to. We are the kind of people who act in self-interest because God can rescue us from the by the power of the gospel. So be compassionate. Fourth thing: treasure, not trinkets. It might not feel like it, but the, no lasting possession you have is actually at stake right now. None. Live like the world is not your home because it isn't. Like I, I, I want to challenge you, like. I don't, I don't know if we'll experience it in our community, but I know there will be places where resources will get very thin. Very thin. Right? And this is a time for us not to hoard. This is a time for us to be able to open up what we have to bless those around us. And what it's going to reveal is if, if like, you have a struggle with that, like, I, seriously, this is why seasons of waiting are time is a reflection and refining. Like, if you're like, man, I just can't give my, you know, my toilet paper away. If you have two ply, man, just the plies and you give one to your neighbor and you keep one for yourself wash your hands hands. all right just go to the dollar store they give long receipts you can reuse those i mean but really when these season what are you finding hard to let go of or to potentially give to your neighbor what is it that you're having a hard time saying i i'll give you this this and this but i'm not going to give you this and in those moments ask the spirit to check you 
to check if that's become an idol in your life. So treasure, not trinkets. Treasure above all things who Christ is and share that hope with others. Check in, don't check out. Don't spend your weeks watching TV and staying all to yourself, right? Call, text those in the body. Listen carefully for any needs that might be in your neighborhood or among you. Check in with your neighbors. Be intentional during this season. Listen very well. Listen very well. This is the kind of opportunity churches only get once in a blue moon. So may we be a church that takes full advantage of these moments. So as we close our time in the scriptures, we're going to just sing one more song. But I want to, again, the two truths, right? The pillars we're trying to buttress under our faith in each other in these moments is that God is God. And the scriptures we read, I encourage you, go read the Old Testament. See the amazing things that God did. And when you're done, look at yourself in the mirror or look at your children and say, God is still that God. But ultimately, in glorious, the most greatest reality is that he rose from the grave. Like, meditate deeply on the resurrection that he is still God. Secondly, understand this reality that this is a time for a season of waiting for us, and may we be refined in it. May we be refined in it. Let me pray for us as we close. Thanks for listening in to today's message. For more information about our church, feel free to visit us at calvarybcmoultrie.com. We hope you will join us again next time. Until then, grace and peace.